Although I'm a doctor by profession, I'm not your doctor. All content and information on this podcast and on our website is for informational and educational purposes and does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of patient-client relationship by use of our site. Although we strive to present accurate information, the podcast and website are not a substitute for your healthcare provider. Always consult a healthcare professional who knows your particular needs and circumstances before making any health-related decisions. Also, there are curse words that are unedited and graphic descriptions of bodies, bodily fluids, and other real-life scenarios that might make some listeners uncomfortable. I said it. I'm Dr. Suzanne Ciotti. And I'm Becca Hammer. Welcome to the Perimena Podcast. of the day medically induced and early menopause Suzanne one of the things we wanted to discuss is when your menopausal journey doesn't coincide with a standard timeline for example what if you had a complete hysterectomy when you were 32 without ovaries you are considered menopausal a doctor will refer to it as surgical menopause Or maybe you're one of those women who start getting perimenopause symptoms when you're 37 and everyone, including your doctor, tells you, oh honey, you're too young to start perimenopause. If this sounds familiar, this episode's for you. We have been discussing menopause with maybe the assumption that this is menopause that's happening naturally. And we've been talking about average times when it might start, say, about 51 years of age. So this is when the ovaries slow down, maybe for 10 years prior, they stop making hormones as efficiently until they stop completely. It's kind of a genetically determined timeline. But women can also go through menopause because of medical interventions. So surgery to remove the ovaries can happen at any age, medications, chemotherapy for any kinds of cancers, genetic disorders, Stress and sometimes autoimmune diseases can all induce an early menopause. So the evaluation and treatment of a woman experiencing menopausal symptoms because of any one of these interventions entails a comprehensive tailored approach, just as what we've been talking about with regular menopause. It will depend completely on what was being treated by your surgery or your medicine intervention, and if the benefits of treatment outweigh the symptoms for for you. Give me an example instance, of that. What are, we, what are we talking about? Yeah, right. Well, here's an example, because this is probably one of the more common scenarios for early menopause. Say a woman has a hysterectomy, they have their ovaries removed, that's called an oophorectomy. And that might happen maybe in your 30s, maybe even in your early 30s. So those two, if both of your ovaries are removed, those are both of the factories for your hormones. So you may start having menopausal symptoms. In fact, that's actually uh, surgical menopause. You might start having hot flashes. So why you had that hysterectomy will dictate whether you can take hormone replacement therapy for those uh, hot flashes. So if you had it done, for example, prophylactically to avoid cancer due to a BRCA mutation, probably you're not a candidate for hormone replacement therapy because of the risk of having uh, that estrogen stimulate breast cancer. But if you had that 
oophorectomy because you had bilateral ovarian cysts that were very large, you might consider hormone replacement therapy for treatment of your menopausal symptoms. uh, And you may also consider that estrogen replacement therapy since you're getting menopause so early and you'll have beneficial effect and protection of of estrogen on your bones uh, by taking that supplement. Okay, that absolutely makes sense, you know, right. I mean, you got to have your ovaries removed and, you know, somebody's going to step in and say, hey, uh, as a result of this, you're going to be technically considered in menopause and, you know, what are our next steps going to be? That absolutely makes sense. Right. And it's nice because usually the person who's doing that for you is a gynecologist. So someone who's knowledgeable about hormones, of course, and then knows what the effects will ha- will be and is able to educate you prior uh, to the surgery for that. So that's that's lovely if you're if that's being done by somebody who's well knows hormones uh, very well. So that is actually the, the what we discussed with uh, uh, medical interventions, surgical as an example, is actually the most drastic early medical intervention we have to induce menopause. So removing both of the ovaries prior to natural menopause. So if you're a woman who has your ovaries removed after you've already completed menopause, you won't get menopause again. It's just a one and done. <laughs> So you don't have remember, to visit that hill twice. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Those gla- those ovaries, when they're functioning normally, they're the they're primarily the the factories responsible for making estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone in women. So the wrap of the the rapid drop of those hormones after surgery causes the pituitary gland to go crazy, making a lot of FSH. Uh, and the effects of surgery on the hypothalamus cause severe hot flashes. So that, that's uh, usually the biggest complaint women will have after a surgical menopause where ovaries are taken out. And that can also happen because of endometriosis. So the surgeon will prescribe estrogen commonly uh, to alleviate menopausal symptoms, unless, however, estrogen is too risky. Like we I said, that you have a strong history uh, a family history of breast cancer, or clots, or a family history of breast cancer and first degree relative. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That mm. you know, if I can't, if if I couldn't take estrogen before a hysterectomy, right? Because it was the indication contra in- indicator or whatever it's called wasn't there. It's not going to be any different if I you know have if I have them surgically removed. So that absolutely mm-hmm. makes sense. But I mean, I mean, and that's kind of a duh, right? I have my ovaries removed, boom, menopause. But you mm-hmm. also mentioned that there are other things that other medical interventions that can send you into menopause. Right, that's those. right. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and I just also wanted to mention too that the other reasons people have their ovaries removed early is because of endometriosis. So that's a very common reason. And that usually is the surgery that results in removal of both ovaries too, uh, or ovarian torsion, but that's usually removal of one ovary. If you still have one ovary left, it's still making estrogen. So that one, you're, you're good to go. You don't need to take supplemental estrogen. If you have ovarian cancer, that's another reason why you might be might have um, both ovaries removed, even if it's in just one, so that you don't risk uh, developing cancer in the other one. That'll put you into menopause. So, and the, like I said, if you have the genetic markers, you find out you do the the genetic analysis early on. You find out that you have a BRCA gene that puts you at high risk. You might have both removed. So you're right. So there's other sorts of medical interventions that may induce menopause. 
So some of those are, are medicines that you take yourself, like tamoxifen, which is a treatment for breast cancer. Lupron, which is an injectable treatment for endometriosis. It induces temporarily menopause. Uh, also, if you have chemotherapy for any cancer, sometimes it has effects on those, those cells in the ovaries that are dividing rapidly and will cause the ovaries to fail. There are some genetic mutations like fragile X syndrome and Turner syndrome that can result in uh, early menopause um, or infertility. And then autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis, scleroderma, lupus, and, uh, and a, like an inf inflammatory bowel disease can also predispose you to, to um, or cause either because of the condition or because of treatment may cause menopause. And so you mentioned, you said, I just want to go back, circle back. You said Lupron uh, was a treatment for endometriosis and that was a temporary menopause or permanent? Yeah, it's usually temporary, but sometimes if you're a little bit closer to the end of that uh, that normal uh, phase, like in your 40s and you start getting Lupron, it may induce it completely. So it just depends on the timing of it. Can I assume, look at me assuming, what a moron, can I assume that if I'm taking tamoxifen or Lupron, um, that my doctor is going to talk to me about the onset, the potential onset of uh, early menopause? Yeah, typically they probably would uh, let you know you're going to be getting those symptoms because those are, are really common uh, symptoms. Uh, so most likely, if you're going through treatment for uh, breast cancer or BRCA mutation your, or endometriosis, definitely your physician is uh, probably someone knowledgeable about hormones and, and those, uh, those risks of an early menopause and whether you're a candidate for uh, can of hormone replacement therapy. Um, and then in addition, the, if you have a genetic mutation, the possibility of infertility probably will be discussed as well. Uh, but perhaps you're being treated by, a, say, a rheumatologist for an autoimmune-related disease or <clears throat> maybe a gastroenterologist uh, using some forms of treatment that might cause infertility or ovarian failure early, like menopause, um, they may not discuss because they may not be as knowledgeable about that. Uh, if you're getting treatment with any medication, most doctors, uh, as, you know, especially autoimmune related diseases, most, most doctors, uh, uh, will discuss if you're within childbearing years, the risk of developing uh, problems with uh, pregnancy if you're on that medicine. We're really, really aware of that, of the, we call that being teratogenic, the type of medicine. What? We try to avoid medicines that are going to call birth defects in uh, babies and like to make sure that women are either on birth control or postmenopausal. So that's something that most all doctors are knowledgeable about. There's some things that doctors know really well about certain medical treatments and hormones and being a woman, and some maybe they don't know quite as well. Well, let me ask you about this. So a woman has a medically induced menopause at an early age and is a candidate for hormone replacement therapy. How long is she going to be on it? Is she going to be on it until she's like, you know, 52 when her quote natural yeah. hormone, her natural menopause cycle would have yeah. Right. What's that look like? Right, right. That's right. It totally depends on the patient and their particular needs. So it might be uh, something that you would want to continue at least as long as you would have normal estrogen 
uh, kind of help, you know, until you're 51. So, so a lot of times if you had a, you know, you had a, that ovaries removed at 30 and you'd like to still have that same benefit of estrogen, probably very reasonable to stay on at least till 50, which is when you would have gone through potentially natural menopause. Um, so that's very reasonable, but it's also very reasonable to just continue it longer. If you have a you have a family history of osteoporosis and fractures in your 70s and 80s. Maybe you want to continue staying on it past that. Just as we've been discussing all along this whole podcast, there's not really a set amount of time for, for each woman. And then there are people who just don't want to take a medication uh, very long. So you could decide to take it for a couple of years and then taper it down slowly so that you don't have the severe menopausal hot flashes and symptoms. Um, so, so there's different strategies, different strokes for different folks. <laughs> I guess it depends I, I on your you're... conversation with your provider. I think you're so cute about that whole all women aren't alike. Are you kidding? The medical establishment <laughs> really believes we are. So it's cute that you're just this little outlier. <laughs> right. <laughs> So Suzanne, one of the things that I regularly see on like the perimenopausal blogs and Q&As that I follow are women who are in their 30s or 40s who are experiencing all the symptoms of perimenopause, but then they go to their provider and they're told, "Mm, no, honey, you're too young for that to happen. So what gives? Right. I mean, that that's a good thing to point out. And the reason why we did this separate podcast is just to, to bring home the fact that this could happen at an early age. So there are women who go through natural menopause at a very early age, as early as 35. And that means that they may have had some perimenopausal symptoms, even as young as 25. And I think that's one of those things that a lot of doctors are not knowledgeable about is how long that perimenopause can last. I mean, it can be 10 years of having yeah. trouble with hot flashes, night sweats, trouble sleeping, mist or, or periods or crime seared periods that are really, really heavy, maybe anemia related to that. Maybe trouble conceiving as well. Uh, sometimes that can be a, a sign that you're going through wild hormonal changes. It, in fact, like talking about uh, infertility, one of the things we commonly check uh, on women is an FSH level, looking for early menopause as a reason why maybe you can't conceive. So maybe if you're a 30-year-old, you've been trying for a year, and that's generally what we say, give it at least a year of trying it on your own. And 80% of women typically are able to get pregnant if they're not on any kind of birth control. Uh, And if it doesn't happen for you, that's when we start this workup. And that usually includes thyroid, which we talked about is very linked to periods and how well your ovaries and hormones are functioning. And then also this FSH, as well as things like anemia and sometimes hormone levels too. So if the FSH is high, if it's over 30, then that would be uh, suggestive of menopause. And we're really not sure why this happens. And we're not really sure of the mechanism of why it occurs. And is it familial, Suzanne? So like if my mom went into early menopause, can I expect that to happen to me as well? Not always. Uh, so it's not a guarantee. And if your mom was later and you're early, that that might be the pattern for you. So Okay. So it's, it is super individualized. It is very individualized. Right. So right. uh, one, one generalization I can make uh, 
for our listeners to be an advocate for yourself. So if you have a lot of symptoms suggestive of menopause and want to get tested, uh, make sure that you're seeing a provider who's knowledgeable about female hormones. So that would include a gynecologist, an endocrinologist, or a family doctor who practices specifically women's health care. We're not typically trained well in medical school about menopause. It's uh, kind of left all up to our, our gynecology obstetrics. <laughs> obstetrics rotation. Uh, and we're not aware uh, often, I, or at least I wasn't trained, of the many manifestations of uh, menopause, all the brain fog and the trouble with mood, the trouble with sleeping, definitely hot flashes. That one has been very well known for years. So there might be many physicians out there who are ignorant that menopause might be actually occurring early in life rather than at that typical age of 51. So just because you get the wrong, you get don't get a clear answer or you get kind of blown off that this is, you know, you're too young for this to be menopause, doesn't mean that that's the case. It could be menopause. And it really is unfortunate because having that knowledge allows a woman to be prepared for the symptoms, just like we've discussed this whole podcast. So the brain fog, that trouble sleeping, and then you're able to use those different treatments that we've been discussing um, or hormones or alternative treatments uh, based on your severity of symptoms. So knowing that this is happening is a lot of good information. And didn't you say that you actually discovered early onset uh perimenopause in med school kind of accidentally? Right. Yeah, exactly. I was in an endocrinology rotation, which not all of us do. We get to pick three subspecialists in medicine that we're going to go to rotate through. And I just happened to do endocrinology. And there was a woman, it was only one woman who came in who was 35 and she was there with her husband. Um, they, and they were trying to conceive and weren't, lucky, weren't able to. And she brought in her lab test that showed a high FSH. And the endocrinologist said, well, that means that you're in, you're in menopause, you're postmenopausal because your FSH is high. So it wasn't anything actually I'd really learned about uh, even in, during class time. It was just I was lucky to happen upon it uh, during my rotation. Happy accidents, it right? Might be, <laughs> it might be different now. I'm, it's really hard to say uh, because that was 30 years ago, but uh, maybe it's a little bit different now. But, uh, but chances are probably it's pretty similar. I'm going to say don't hold your breath for it being taught, you know, at the top of the, right. top of the list of things that physicians learn. But Honest, you mentioned- yes. Yeah, it's honestly, there's a lot to learn. You know, you definitely want your physician picking up your heart attack and doing all the correct things in a timely manner. So, so uh, it's, it's good that we have specialists that know exactly what to be checking for a particular disorder. All right, heard. So, but you've mentioned testing. So let's talk about that. Because again, I think this is one of those things that really needs an explanation when it comes to hormones. And I'll tell you why. Because I see women who are experiencing early symptoms, who are experiencing, Mm -hmm. who are very young, experiencing perimenopause symptoms. They go and they get, quote, tested. That's all they put, tested. Mm -hmm. And they were told, nope, you're not impaired. You're not. You're not. It's all in your head right. or you're, you know, whatever, whatever. This hormone fluctuating wildly during perimenopause, hence the constellation of symptoms. And you can be tested on a day when things look normal, right? Mm-hmm. Suzanne, right. how should I think about getting tested if I'm having symptoms earlier than my late 40s or 50s 
to make sure it's even accurate. I'm so glad that we're talking about this because it, it makes it's just it's just one of those definite quandaries even for physicians because there's not a definitive test that you can just do at one point and say this is perimenopause and it might also be a little bit of kind of the use of uh, the terms that we're using. So I think for some physicians, they're misinterpreting perimenopause to be menopause uh, when the patient comes in, you know, that they, they may not understand that perimenopause is all those wild fluctuations of hormones and that true menopause is that when the periods stop and you're not having any more estrogen uh, on board uh, and they're thinking that's what the, the patient is talking about, uh, wanting to confirm. So, um, so there, it might be a, a difference in terms, but, but there, it is true that it's extremely difficult to test for perimenopause. Yes. And that, that is that 10 year period prior to that last period because it's the reason why it's happening is because your hormones are fluctuating wildly. They're going up really high at times and down really low. And they're sometimes not happening in a synchronized manner. It's very hard for us to be able to say, hey, do this on day 20 or 30 or five of your cycle because your cycles are irregular perhaps or maybe they're regular, but the hormones are still going wacko uh, throughout that period. So it makes it, or you're not having periods because you have an IUD or you had an ablation or something that makes it hard to be able to track. So, so it is very hard to diagnose with uh, hormone testing perimenopause, but postmenopause or menopause is very easy to to, uh, de to determine by just checking an FSH or follicle stimulating hormone. And that if it's uh, high, so if it's above 30, we'll be able to tell you, yes, you're truly in full menopause, which could be useful because that also means that you can't get pregnant. Yeah, that's useful if I'm, if I'm 32 and I'm trying to get pregnant and I can't like you, like you alluded to earlier. But if I'm if I'm 37 and I'm I've got hot flashes and sleeplessness and all these mm -hmm. things associated with and again what does, what's this podcast about perimenopause and so you know we like answers right so we want to mm -hmm. run to the doctor and we want to take a test on a day and get the answer as to whether I have started my perimenopausal journey and really from what I hear from you the answer is no. Nah. You can't really do that. That's not really a thing. And right. I just saw, I just saw online, um, they have these tests now that are, um, they look like pregnancy tests. They're like a pee tests. Do you know anything about these? And I'm seeing, I'm seeing women post these results with the two lines and I'm like, oh my God, they're pregnant. No, these are supposed to be for menopause. And right. do you know anything about those? That might be the FSH uh, test for postmenopause, for true full menopause, uh, you know, so, and, and it is really complicated, especially for someone who doesn't have training in endocrinology and in female hormones to be able to explain and understand because it's very complicated. And it's why uh, sometimes it's helpful to have somebody who's knowledgeable about hormones because you can do some testing 
based on symptoms, uh, maybe based on what the pattern is in your particular cycles. But in order for us to recommend one kind of test that you can do to confirm, there isn't really a way to do that without the whole other constellation of either symptoms or periods uh, in order to help us know what, uh, where you might predictably be, uh, for a certain hormone level. For instance, I think very much that, uh, that progesterone being low or luteal phase defect in perimenopause is a reason why people have a lot of trouble with sleeplessness and maybe even night sweats. So I know that for a woman, even if she's having irregular periods, we'll check a, a progesterone on day 20 or 21, depending on how long her cycles are, or day 16, depending on how long her cycles are. And maybe we'll do that once and repeat it again in a few months uh, and see, does it seem like the levels are similar or does it really change a lot? And we can, I can uh, prescribe progesterone replacement for either the last half of the cycle or for the whole cycle. But that's a very tailored approach guided by a physician. It's very. not something you can just order online in order to confirm. And 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 we're going to talk a little bit about treatments, but a lot of the treatments that we use for perimenopause, which kind of also blends into this uh, kind of constellation of PMS or premenstrual syndrome, which also mm -hmm. can have trouble with uh, with irregular periods, especially moodiness and sleeplessness and night sweats. Um, uh, the treatment that we typically will use is birth control pills to help regulate the periods, help keep the hormone levels all the same. And that can help uh, symptoms for a lot of people. And it doesn't matter what the levels are, we're just suppressing your own ovaries from going wackadoodle and uh, allowing you to have that replacement of estrogen and progesterone at the same amounts every day. So, so that's another way or approach uh, for women who are early earlier age and still cycling and having rapid swings of periods. Yeah. So it sounds, hormones. Like, it sounds like the kind of the takeaway message here is like this whole like over the counter testing pee on a stick thing is really not really probably not going to get you the answer you're looking for. It's going to lead you to more questions than it is answers. Right. If you're in perimenopause, for sure. And now yes. if you're one of those women who you stopped your period, you're, it's been about, you know, it's been 12 months, it's been six to 12 months, no, no periods. And you just want to make sure that you can be done with birth control. Well, then, then probably that FSH is going to be a really good way of confirming that you're postmenopausal. But like we've talked about earlier, Becca, this is the perimenopodcast, which is all about the gray zone, and that is uh, not uh, really the best uh, strategy uh, for women. It doesn't confirm that you're in perimenopause. Exactly, just postmenopause. That's the takeaway. That is the that is the exclamation point takeaway here. Suzanne, what I heard you say is, you know, there are the the tests you can do at home. There's an FSH test that your physician might give you. But you may be thinking you're in perimenopause and there are some tests that your physician may do to help you understand where, uh, uh, if you're in per perimenopause specifically. So talk a little bit about that. 
Right. So what we were really talking about with that perimenopause and that that testing you can get online that you're going to get a result and then really not know what to do with that's what we're that's that's the testing that's really difficult because it doesn't really give you a definitive answer for per se and they might be normal results but you really are still in in perimenopause so um so be aware of that that you need a provider to help you with that kind of with this process um some of those other lab there are labs also that you might go to regularly like LabCorp, genova quest maybe you get your cholesterol check there for your annual that your physician orders they may have direct to consumer testing available too that will allow you to check estrogen progesterone testosterone just know not to do that all by yourself because that's something that really depends on the day that it's that you're that you're testing for and your physician won't know what to do with that without having that history or information uh, plus your symptoms so you would want to try to avoid doing that all by yourself um, just with the guidance of a provider who might order that for you there is a, a company called Genova that is a lab company that has a kit uh, that has a whole uh, process of uh, hormone panels testing that it will do uh, that usually is ordered by the physician. In fact, it has to be ordered by the physician, even though you might get a kit to bring to the lab. And that that testing usually comes back to the physician with really good results too. It might even have results that show some some herbal options and some hormonal options that might include cortisol as well. This is kind of, this is in the realm of what's called functional medicine, which kind of looks at a lot of different parts of the the whole person including the hormones um, like cortisol, growth hormone, progesterone, testosterone, uh, maybe even things like uh, insulin levels, uh, maybe a vitamin D because it's linked to mood. So so it's a comprehensive typically. Would it include thyroid? It could probably would include thyroid. Exactly. Um, absolutely. So remember, just remember that hormone levels change significantly over the time, over time and one negative result or normal result might not be good enough. You might have to test several times in order to get a better picture, but this should still be with the help of your physician. Uh, and remember that might include, yes, your estradiol, progesterone, FSH, LH, which is kind of a sister of FSH, cortisol, and that thyroid panel. And just remember the most important one is that FSH. If it's above 30, that's generally considered menopause, full, complete menopause. So, well, congratulations <laughs> so if that happens, it, because it then matter. you're out of perimenopause. You're done with that it, and it won't be able matter. to get pregnant. What any of those other tests say, if your FSH is above 30, forget about it. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. Well, okay. So 41, I think I'm in perimenopause. I'm having all kinds of symptoms, uh, but my physician is kind of blowing me off and there's not really one definitive test. And I don't really want to do the Genova thing, but how do I start? What are my treatment options, right? Am I because mm-hmm. I, because of my age? Am I yeah. eligible to do the stuff that a fifty-year-old woman is doing? Really good question. The short answer is really straightforward. That if you have earlier induced menopause, you can use exactly the same treatments that we have recommended in this podcast for women who are a little bit older. 
So we can use hormones. We can use some of those same medications like the antidepressants that we had talked about. There's also the same herbals that might be helpful for you, like, like, um, like a chase tree berry, like a black cohosh for hot flashes. If you do have those symptoms that we've already discussed and you're still early, you could try some of those options uh, and see if they help relieve symptoms. Um, so the same treatments are available. Uh, just remember though, that for those women who have a genetic tendency for breast cancer or who have had breast cancer or clotting disorders themselves, they should not take hormones, but they can do other interventions. So same sort of rules apply. Uh, but then there's the other options, you know, just talking about treatments that we don't necessarily have for women who are postmenopausal uh, completely. And that would be those, the birth control pills that we, I kind of talked about a little earlier, earlier about IUDs, which have progesterone. Those uh, actually could keep your ovaries from uh, making estrogen and progesterone as part of the way that they work. And then what I had mentioned with testing progesterone levels and supplementing as needed might be able to use, you might be able to do. And don't forget about some of those herbals that are useful like chase tree, wild yam cream, evening primrose oil, uh, based on your symptoms. So just check out our earlier pet podcasts, depending on whatever symptoms you're having, and you'll get some uh, treatment options there. And remember also that you don't forget to enlist the help of your provider who can help you uh, with your treatment options based on your symptoms and may be able to recommend testing and discuss with you the risks of treatment for you in particular based on your family history and maybe your own personal history as well. What I heard you say, Suzanne, if you're having medically induced menopause, your options post-procedure are probably being well discussed by your provider, right? You're not going to get your ovaries removed and not have anybody talk about what happens afterwards. <laughs> right. Depending on why you're having medically induced menopause, that's actually going to determine what your post-procedure options are, though, right? Can't take, can't take hormones. They're going to talk to you about what you can take. But if you're one of those women who are naturally going through menopause, but early, it gets trickier. If you are early menopause, there isn't one definitive test that can be done to let you know if it's perimenopause or something else. And I'm going to repeat that because, again, people are going to try to sell you something. And, and the words perimenopause and menopause might get thrown around. If you're in early perimenopause, there is not one definitive test that can be done to let you know if it's perimenopause, okay? Your doctor, they might do a TSH test, but the only thing that that's gonna tell you is if you're in complete menopause, like I'm done, right? Not peri, mm -hmm. and that's not particularly helpful. The good thing is that you can try the same things that an older woman in perimenopause might turn to uh, to alleviate symptoms. Birth control, IUD, herbals, like chase tree, wild yam cream, evening primrose, others, depending on what your symptoms are. The important thing is to be your own best advocate for your health. If your doctor tells you, oh, honey, you're too young to be in menopause, take the thyroid test, but know that know what you know and how you're feeling and find a provider who understands women's hormones. Am I right or am I right? That's a good summation. That absolutely <laughs> sums it up. All right, well, let's talk about our next episode.
The next time, we're going to continue our perimenopause conversation by talking about your family, your loved ones, and how changes as a result of your perimenopausal journey may be scaring the shit out of them. <laughs> Join us as we talk about navigating relationships on the next Perimenopause podcast. If you would like to visit our website where reference materials and links to other podcasts are held, please visit us at www.theperimenopodcast.com. If you have questions, comments, thoughts for another episode, please feel free to send us an email at theperimenopodcast at gmail.com. Find more episodes wherever you get your favorite podcast. Please do us a favor. If this information has been helpful for you, please like us, write a review if you're so inclined, and most importantly, share this podcast with another sister so she can be informed too.